0: So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word.
1: This simple ritual required by the law, whereby the mother had to undergo a cleansing process upon giving birth, was intended to be a continual reminder of mankind's sinfully polluted condition and, and to point to the need for a greater cleansing that would one day be offered to all of mankind through the person of Jesus Christ. And yes, even Mary, even Mary, even though Mary was gonna give birth and has given birth to the sinless Jesus, and he is the only one that's sinless at birth, and even though she's giving birth to the sinless Jesus, still had to be reminded through this ritual. Of the human condition. She had to be reminded that she had given birth, even though he was the sinless savior who would offer cleansing, that she was going to need that cleansing from him as well. She had to have this ritual to remind her that she needed to be cleansed, not by the the water required by the law, not by the rituals required by the law, but by the very one she had given birth to. And to all of us, it's exactly the same. We need this cleansing that comes this purification that comes only through Jesus Christ. And now, as, 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 as Joseph and Mary, they fulfill the requirements of the law, and they bring Jesus to be circumcised, like Zacharias and Elizabeth, Joseph and Mary also obeyed the command of the Lord given to them by the angel. They break tradition, just like Zacharias and, 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 and Elizabeth did, by naming their firstborn son, not the name of the father, but the name told them by the father, name him Jesus. And that's exactly what they do. Jesus. They name him Jesus. Jesus is the Greek pronunciation of the name, or in the Hebrew, it would be Joshua or Yeshua. And in the Hebrew, it's a combination of the covenant name of God, Yahweh, and the noun for help and deliver. And and the exact way to combine these two nouns can be interpreted as Yahweh saves, or salvation is of Yahweh, or Yahweh delivers, or Yahweh is the deliverer. And this is exactly what Jesus will be. It's exactly who he is. He will be. He is. Yahweh saves. He will be. He is. Salvation that is of Yahweh. He will be. He is. Yahweh who delivers. He will be, he is Yahweh, the Deliverer. And I hope that you guys are grateful for these realities this morning as you think about Jesus, that he is these things. Because apart from him, there is no salvation. There is no deliverance. There is no cleansing from our sin that we so desperately need. All that exists apart from Jesus is a continual reminder of our sinfully fallen human condition with no hope of escape from it, just an eternity of condemnation before us. But Jesus did come, and he is these things. He is Yahweh saves. He is salvation that is of Yahweh, he is Yahweh who delivers. He is Yahweh the deliverer. And if you understand this, then you know that He is the escape from your sin. And and He offers to give you that way of escape from your sin if you'll accept what it is that He's offering to do from you, for you, to save you, to deliver you. I have, and I pray you have as well. Look at verse 25, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. Let's stop right there. We're now introduced to this man named Simeon. Now, Bible teachers have speculated on lots of things about who he specifically is. Some have suggested that he might have been the son of Rabbi Hillel and the father of a guy by the name of Gamaliel. He's the teacher that Paul often refers to as having brought up by him. But but it's very doubtful that this is who this guy is. Others suggest that he might have been the leader of the Sanhedrin and they suggest that because it would fit the narrative that he would be in a position to apply the law of buying back the firstborn male child. But none of this, this speculation, and that's all it is, none of that speculation is even implied by the text. All we're told is that Simeon was a man who was living in Jerusalem, who was a just and devout follower of the Lord, who was filled with the Holy Spirit and who was waiting for the promised Messiah to come. Now, the term that Luke uses in telling us that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel is a term that Luke will use several times in his gospel, and in each case, it'll have a messianic implication to it. And so, as he's using it here, what he's saying is that Simeon is a man who knew the Scriptures and what they foretold about the Messiah— and and likely based on what was happening with Zechariah and Elizabeth and and with Zechariah's prophecy about the Messiah that had become the talk of the region. Remember, we looked at that a couple of weeks ago. I mean, when John was born and Zechariah was able to speak again, it became the talk of everything. People began to see that there was something unusual taking place. And, and I'm sure this guy Simeon was aware of all this talk. And so it's highly likely that he was... Man, his antenna was probably up at this point that he knew he was getting close to the Messiah's arrival and that it was at hand. But but we're also told that the Holy Spirit revealed to him at some point that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. The Holy Spirit had revealed to him at some point in his life that he wasn't going to die before he saw Jesus, the Messiah. And now Luke tells us that it is the Holy Spirit who now leads Simeon into the temple in Jerusalem where he is about to see this great expectation that he's been waiting for finally fulfilled. Look at verse 27. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, stop there. And now once again, we see how God is, is orchestrating this meeting. You know, we've talked a lot about this over the last few weeks about accidents, no accidents. Look, I'm not suggesting when I say, you know, there are no accidents in life. Look, I'm not saying that everything that happens is is set up by God. I'm not saying that. I mean, I stub my toe in the night sometimes on the couch. God didn't, you know, set that up for that to happen. Maybe he has sometimes, so I would learn not to say things I shouldn't say when I stub my toe. But I'm just saying things happen in a sinfully fallen world. They happen. He's aware of them. He knows they're going to happen. But it doesn't mean he's orchestrating it all. But I am saying that I think one day when we stand in the kingdom and we're looking back and and Jesus is revealing things to us about our, our life in this world, we're going to be absolutely amazed at how many things that we thought were circumstance that just happened that that weren't just that, that they were set up by God that they were intended by God himself and put God himself made things in, put things in motion for those things to happen. And now Joseph and Mary is a great example of it. They're coming into the temple to fulfill the requirements of the law concerning their newborn son, which they felt compelled to do because the Lord was impressing it on their hearts to do these things. And Simeon is simultaneously being led by the spirit into the temple at the very same moment that their paths cross, they intersect in this moment. I love how God orchestrates divine encounters. And that's exactly what he's doing. This is an orchestrated divine encounter. I think about that. You know, I look back over my life and, and things where I, I now look back and say, man, God, that was a divine encounter I had with somebody. Maybe it was in a time when I needed to, 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 to minister something to somebody, to, to say something to somebody that they needed to hear. Sometimes it was for me that the Lord brought somebody across my path at the exact right moment, at the exact moment that it was needed to encourage me or to give me a word for something. God does this. There are divine encounters, and and the key to them is that a lot of times we don't even realize at first that they're divine encounters. Sometimes we don't realize it until we stand on the other side of it looking back and realize, man, the Lord orchestrated that that encounter you know i remember uh, somebody attends our fellowship here now uh, though the, they were in a sam's club i remember the story they were in a sam's club and and they were in line waiting and somebody in front of them turned around and started talking to them they struck up a conversation and the, the guy had said to him so you know they got somehow it revealed they were both christians and they got all excited a- and they said you know the guy said to him well, where do you go, where do you fellowship and they said well, we're sort of in between churches and, and the guy said to him i know a great church you need to go to so it's a little church called Calvary Chapel. They're up on Pine Hill Drive. You ought to go up there sometime. Check them out. Oh, do you go there? Oh, yeah, I go there. Well, well, they showed up about two weeks later, and, they, and, and the Lord brought them here. <laughs> and they started talking about this guy that they met, that, that, that referred him here, and I am just got this blank stare on my face. And, you know, I'm smiling, but I don't know this guy. And then all of a sudden it clicked. I did. I met him one time. <laughs> He'd been here once or twice when he was traveling through the area. He was a truck driver and he was traveling through the area. And so when he would come through, he would stop here. That wasn't an accident. That was a divine encounter. That was a divine appointment that the Lord set up for that couple that brought them here. And, and at the same time, the Lord put somebody in motion to cross their path at the right moment. Look, all I'm saying to you is, look, you don't have to read into everything, but keep your heart open to these things. Because sometimes, maybe even the person you're standing in line next to, of course, at this point, socially distanced, right? But you're standing in line next to, you don't, know the Lord has you there. If the Lord puts something in your heart for him, speak to him. You don't, know the Lord hasn't set up a divine appointment, or maybe you're in need of something in your life, ask the Lord. Keep your heart open. Lord, bring me somebody across my path today that can speak a word to me on your behalf. Divine encounters, they're of the Lord, and we see it happening right here in our study. Look in verse 28. He took him up in his arms, talking about the baby Jesus now, this eight-day-old baby. And he, he's picking up. He says he, 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 he took him up in his arms and blessed God. Can you just see this in this moment? You see Simeon just holding baby Jesus up in this moment, holding him up. And he blessed God and said, stop. No, he didn't say stop. I did. <laughs> but, but now as Simeon sees the child, here's the amazing part. He knows instantaneously who this child really is. How does he know that? Because the Spirit's revealing it to him. The Spirit's revealing it to him. He knows that this is is the Messiah. And he takes him up in his arms, and with joy, he proclaims the following. Look at verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people, Israel. Can you sense... Both the joy and the fulfillment and and yeah even the relief in in Simeon's declaration right here you know as one commentator said it so well he said it was as if Simeon were commanded by God to keep a lonely watch through the night until he saw the sun come up and and this now was for him God's sunrise and because Jesus had come, Simeon could be relieved of his watch. just imagine this moment what joy and, and what fulfillment and, and what relief Simeon is experiencing in finally seeing this long-awaited child of promise that he has waited for so long and expectantly to arrive. A child who is foretold not just to be the glory of your people Israel, in other words, not just to be the Messiah of Israel, but a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles, Simeon says as well. You know, Simeon in that statement When he says that, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. In that statement, Simeon reveals that he knew the prophecies concerning the Messiah. He knew the scriptures concerning the Messiah and the implications of those prophetic scriptures. He understood that the Messiah wasn't just for the nation of Israel but that the Messiah was for the Gentiles as well. You and I are here today. As, if you're a, a non-Jew, if you're in faith in Christ, and there are Jews today who believe in Christ, they're fulfilled, they they understand, they they know Jesus, you know, and who he is as their Messiah. But if you're not a Jew, and, and you're like me, I don't know my background, I was adopted, but I think it's German, French, something like that, Prussian, who knows, you know, I'm a mutt. But, you know, I'm a Gentile as you are, and and... and, and, and The gospel, the message of the gospel is that Jesus came for us too. We're here because of him. If we're in faith, we're a part of him now because of what he did for us as the Gentiles. Yes, Jesus will say throughout the gospels, we'll see it in the book of Luke, that he came to the Jews first, but he fully understand that he was coming to the Jews first because that was the chosen people that God had chosen to represent him in this world. But he also had a plan for us. (laughs) As they would reject him, he would come to us. And yet at the same time, he did reach Jews because his initial disciples were Jews. He came for all of us. In other words, God's plan of redemption was for this whole world, not just for one group. It was for this whole world. And so Simeon knew this. He knew the scriptures. He knew Isaiah 9 two. Isaiah 9-2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. He knew that this coming Messiah was to be light in darkness. Now, a few weeks ago, we talked about the conditions in Israel at the time that Jesus was born. Under the thumb of the Arids, under the oppressive fist of the Roman Empire, the corruption, the darkness of it all, the nation coming apart at the seams in so many ways, no hope into this, Jesus was being born. And Simeon recognizes it. This little baby is the hope of Israel. He's the light shining in darkness. You know, Jesus wants to be the light shining in darkness in this world around us. And this world is growing darker. It's not going to get lighter. I already laid out for you the case that that humans by nature are sinful. And so sinful human beings are not going to create a better world. It's only going to get worse. There's darkness around us. And, And look, you and I are here today so that we can share, like Simeon, this is the light. We can point to Jesus and hold him up before this world, hopefully by reflecting him in our lives, not just with our words, but holding up before this dark, in this darkness of this world where it is. This is the hope. This is the light shining in darkness. Come to the light. Come to the light. That's what you and I are here for. We're not to be overcome by darkness. We're to bring light in the midst of the darkness. And that light is Jesus. Simeon recognized that he knew Isaiah 42 and verse 6. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles, the nation of Israel and to the Gentiles, to the whole world. Isaiah 49 and verse 6. Isaiah 49 and verse 6, indeed he says, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. It's it's not just for this one nation, it's for the world, Isaiah says. Simeon knew this. Simeon knew Isaiah chapter 60 verses 1 through 3. 60 verses 1 through 3 of Isaiah, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people, but the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Simeon knew these things. He knew these things as he looked at this Messiah, this baby who was the Messiah because he knew the scriptures and what they spoke of what Messiah would do. And now finally, he's seeing his expectations fulfilled as he looks upon this tiny eight-day-old baby, and the Spirit reveals to him that this is the Messiah of Israel and the world. And with this revelation, Simeon could truly rest in peace whenever the Lord was ready to call him home. He could rest in peace when the Lord was ready to call him home. An unknown poet once wrote a poem that eloquently captures what had to be Simeon's heart in this moment. It goes like this. I fear no sin. I dread no death. I have lived long enough. I have my life. I have longed enough. I have my love. I have seen long enough. I have my light. I have served enough. I have my saint. I have sorrowed enough. I have my joy. Sweet babe, let this psalm serve as a lullaby to thee and for a funeral for me. Oh, sleep in my arms and let me sleep in thy peace. Had to be his heart in that moment. And I pray it's our hearts as well. Not that we'd long for death. Like Paul, you and I are are probably torn, you know. For one hand, we want to be with the Lord. On the other hand, we know that we're here for a reason in this life. And yet... The peace that Simeon had in this moment should be the peace that all of us have. And if you're in Christ, there is no reason you should not have this peace. To know that your eyes have seen fulfilled in your own life who this Messiah is, what he's done for you. And now when the Lord's ready to call you home, whether by death or rapture, you'd be ready to go. And in the meantime, we serve. Amen. But we have peace. We have peace. We have peace. So to Simeon. We'll look on at verse 33, and Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And keep in mind, although Joseph and Mary had been informed by God of what he was doing and who this baby was, their understanding was still murky. And we've talked about this a lot before, you know, just just murky. And they're just storing it up, they're just remembering, and sooner or later trusting the Lord will make it clear for them says in verse 34, Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And so finally, Simeon leaves Mary With a prophetic warning and note that it's it's not a warning in the sense that she's being told to do something to avoid what he's telling her is going to happen sometimes prophetic warnings are for that reason but but here it's simply a prophetic warning to prepare her for what's coming you know i like how god oftentimes tells people in advance of things to come in order to prepare them you know god knows the beginning from the end of everything in human history and in our lives You know, we're told in Isaiah chapter 46, verses 8 through 11, Isaiah 46, 8 through 11, remember this and show yourselves, men, recall to mind, O you transgressors, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure calling a bird of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. Isaiah says, man, this is the Lord. The Lord knows the beginning of the parade from the end of the parade. He sees it all. He knows and he can declare it. He can tell us and it will come to pass. But every time he tells us something, it's not always to get us to respond in such a way to avoid what's coming, but to simply make us aware so we're not overwhelmed when it comes. You know, I believe that's the whole point of the book of uh, Matthew chapter 24, in the Olivet Discourse, where the disciples come to Jesus and they say, tell us what will be the signs of your coming and of the last days? What will it be? And Jesus goes through this litany of things in detail, and yet not with all the specifics of how it would unfold but he gives them the things that they're to watch for. But then he also says to them repeatedly in each of the gospels, he says to them, but don't be troubled because these things have to happen. Clearly, he's telling them not that they were to react to it, not that they were to do something specifically to avoid what was coming, but to simply make them aware of things that would come. And we know some of those things, wars and rumors of wars, the birth pangs, right? Wars and rumors of wars, Uh, false Christ coming in his name, famines, earthquakes in diverse places, kingdoms rising up against kingdoms, nations against nations. He goes through all these things. Why? So that we can do something about it? No. So that we won't be blown away when we begin to see it happen. You know, we're not going to see all of the things that he proclaims to us in the prophetic word happen as his church because we'll be gone for when the tribulation begins through the rapture. But at the same time, we do see things beginning to unfold in our world in a lot of ways. And and sadly, in Christianity today, it seems like some Christians who are aware of the things that God has warned them are coming, are, are taking his warning almost as a mandate to do everything they can to usurp it from taking place. I am amazed by all of the social media posts that call people out by name as being patsies of the Antichrist and the tone of those articles. It it seems to be conveying the idea that we need to do everything we can to stop them. Now, first, let me clarify what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that we shouldn't curb evil, that we shouldn't be used of the Lord to to stand up against evil and wrong. I'm not saying that, but it's almost like we're trying to usurp things that we know the Scriptures say saying are coming. We got to do something about it to make that not happen. First, Let me just say this, a lot of the attributions that are being made today are suspect in themselves you know, as to whether or not they're actually good attributions of what people are seeing. But second, even if they're right about, in particular, about people and what they're doing, why in the world would we feel compelled to stop them if we believe it's something prophetic? I mean, stopping them from doing what prophecy says Antichrist must come and do is not to resist Antichrist, but it's resisting God himself by trying to stop the events from unfolding that God has told us clearly in his word must unfold. These things must be, but don't be troubled. Buy it. I think Christians have watched too many of those end-time movies where the hero of the story seems to be doing everything he, he can to kill the Antichrist. That guy's the Antichrist. I recognize him. I see the 666 under his hairline. I need to drive a stake through his heart or shoot him in the head. I need to do something to stop him. Have you ever noticed even in those movies it never seems to work out? I wonder why. Look, now God warns sometimes, He warns His people not to get us to respond in such a way to make it stop from happening, but He warns us so that we will know and not be upended by it all when it begins to happen, which is exactly what Simeon's prophecy is now intended to do for Mary.